All right. Hey, welcome everybody to the Learn Full Show. Uh, I'm Lol. Obviously, we interview science scientists, experts, leaders from around the world. Um, and today, we literally have someone from a different place than where I am. I'm from the mid. I'm in the Midwest right now, and she's in the Middle East. I think you're in Dubai. And I'm joined with Sarah Merhi. And I and I've been I've been told that the way I pronounce the last name is not correct. So I, Sarah, if you could just correct the way I say your last name, and then we'll we'll go into things. <laughs> All right, hello everyone. Um, I am actually based in Dubai, and the way that I say my name is Sara Merai. <laughs> that's so cool. Yeah, it's, I, a bit, it's a bit heavy. It's a bit heavier, <laughs> but that's how I say my name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, the closest I could get was Merhi, and it's it's so bad. My Midwestern mouth is terrible. Um, so Sarah was really <laughs> nice to not make fun of me uh, too much. Uh, what what um what are you? What's a bit of your background for people who don't know you? All right, so I I have a bachelor's in nutrition and dietetics, and currently, so I I graduated nutrition and dietetics. I had that medical um, exposure in uh, in hospitals dealing with different patients, diabetes, you know, uh, obesity, people in people coming out of surgical uh, floors. So this is kind of very medical. Uh, section of nutrition and dietetics and then this is when afterwards I joined a consultancy uh, where we work for FNCG companies typically food and beverage industry and this is where we kind of advise them on portfolio uh, innovation and transformation but also regulation and then there's food sustainability to that where it, which comes down to plant-based alternative meats currently al alternative proteins as cell cultured is not found in the Middle East. So we're now focusing on plant-based and what is actually working in the market and what is missing in the market. So this is a bit of a background. Um, but also, I am currently actually on the UN Youth Board for ProVeg International. So basically, ProVeg International is an international organization that pushes plant-based diets onto the climate agenda. And apart from that, I'm also a future sustainability leader at Masdar, which is the Abu Dhabi's future energy company, where this is basically um, upskilling, STEM skills, um, getting uh, networking, connecting with policymakers, challenging the status quo so that actually we can see change happening. Yeah. So this is and, a bit uh, of my background, a whole yeah. rounded kind of background. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it sounds very impressive. The, um, is is the is the Middle East a net importer of food? So, like having a more of a, a like a plant base that you could make locally would be a, a good thing. Or do you guys are you? I think you're a net importer in terms of food. Yeah, most of the foods, yes, we we import. Um, there aren't a lot of local companies that have ventured into plant based. The market is not saturated; it's still at its infancy. Um, so it's not not like typically what you see in the U.S. where you already have you know, cultivated meats getting pushed into the, up to the FDA for approval. So we're still at the infancy stage, checking what is working in the market, what are consumers demanding, what's what really resonates with consumers. So this is basically the scene right now. It's still very, I would say, not old food system style because they are reformulating, they are fortifying the food. It's kind of getting into a more healthier food system but plant-based is not there yet. Is there any like uh, cultural pushback for plant-based 
or anything like that? Like in terms of like what people like to eat in the, mid- the Middle East? I've not been to the Middle East. I only know it on a map. Yeah. So in the Middle East, you know, culture and tradition is so closely related to food. And most of our food consumption is typically meat, lamb, and then you have chicken. Um, but there's different types of the Middle East region. So I'm I'm Lebanese and the Mediterranean diet, I'm, I'm sure you've heard of the Mediterranean diet. Yeah. It's one of the healthiest diets. So we have legumes, we have uh, good fats, we have fruits and vegetables and a little bit of meat, meat intake. But then you go into other areas of the Middle East, like each culture has its own kinds of uh, cuisine, but it's highlighted by meat consumption a lot, like a very high intake of meat consumption. And so you want to shift a consumer that is that has been eating meat that is so closely tied to his or her religion or, and uh, culture and tradition. And they've been eating this way since forever. How mm-hmm. do you go about that? This is like the key question. How do you go about that? How do you tell someone this is a plant-based Patty, but patties are not our are not in our cuisine. Patties are more Western. For us, it's more mm-hmm. kebab. It's more of like barbecue. So you need to put that essence. You need to put that on plant based for them to really even think of. Oh, okay, I want to try that one. It's close to what I actually eat. Yeah, I don't think there's any uh, plant kebabs coming out. It's all like burger type thing. I think there's like some fish type stuff coming out as well. But I don't think anyone's working on, I mean, like in the sense of like being close to people being able to taste and see the difference. I mean, um, I know about, uh, there's one company here actually that's mm. working on, uh, that has come out with uh, kebabs and um, barbecue that's plant-based, but that's about it. It's just one company. So you can see how unsaturated the market is. I mean, there's not really that big of a demand for it. Yeah. Is, uh, have, have you been a part of like the testing when you, so like there's an impossible burger in the u.s and i think you can get them at burger king and at the store and it's a plant-based burger and i had a normal burger next to it and the plant-based one and uh i had a couple of my friends with me and they're like they're carnivores like they they have like a carnivore of a fi- the 50s like they, if they could go to a diner every sunday and have a burger with fries they'd be the most satisfied people in the world <laughs> i cut it into like you know little thirds or whatever and they all took a bite of each and um when they took a, a bite of the plant burger, there's like th- their faces lit up, and they're like, "This, this tastes like a burger." You know, it's like kind of the proof is in the pudding. Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious if, if anyone's done stuff like that with the kebabs, where a lot of it's the texture and like how you make it as well, like to that makes it uh, what it is. But I'm curious, has anyone uh, done something like that for kebabs with the people who are in, into that? So personally, I've never been to a taste test. Yeah. I'm not really involved on the taste testing side or like the yeah. production of the food side. I'm more of like the nutritional content Mm. the value is it nutritious does it have health benefits because again my background is in dietetics right uh but i actually since you mentioned impossible uh food so i actually tried impossible burger for the first time i believe last week imagine Mm. um they they came into the market in uae i believe in 2021 but i haven't had the chance i haven't had the chance to even come come upon impossible uh, burger but I've had that last week and it was amazing. It yeah. was amazing. Honestly, kudos. Like that burger was so good. But apart from that, I'm not really um, 
uh, involved in taste testing. I would love to. I would love to be involved in the taste testing of plant-based opposed to, you know, actual meat. But I've seen a lot of blind, not not blindfolded testing, but, you know, when the consumer doesn't mm-hmm. know what they're having and then you tell them, oh, it's actually plant-based. And they're like, what? It is plant-based. Yeah. I love that. That's actually so good. So I would love to be part of that or at least, you know, maybe conduct such a focus group. It would be interesting to see how consumers here in the region react to that. But I haven't had the chance to do that yet, unfortunately. I think Alan of Cell California, I am terrible at people's organizations. He's making plant based, he's making cell egg chocolate and cell egg coffee. And I think in the next couple of months, he's going to be like looking for people to sell, send kits to so they can do taste tests of like, uh, uh, so like, you know, Alan, maybe you guys can connect and, and uh, you can you can test out some cell egg. Uh, derived chocolate so you don't have like the downstream effects of uh like slave labor and stuff like it's pretty cool um but i, I like oh, that wow. idea like more people like sending these kits out for people to experiment and tell people yeah, what they think but do they send them overseas or they just... uh i don't know or... he, he offered I, i'm like kind of like maybe speaking out, out, of the, out of the corner of my mouth in the sense of, like i know he's looking for people i don't know if he's looking for all across the world i know um he was happy with the midwest he was, he was happy just, i think he was open from like the california to the midwest i don't know if it was uh well, alan if you're listening if you could just like type in the comments what you're actually willing to do um uh, and if i've spoken out of turn please yell at me I'm, i apologize um but uh yeah i think that because like, people get to see it more especially with like all the new ways people engage with social media do you do um any of the social media like getting people excited for it, like making that type of content or is it more like the policy uh making making the conditions so that plant-based can happen it's um <clears throat> so when it comes when you talking about social media do you mean as part of my job or do you mean me on my own uh uh sh- job then uh, you on your own now i'm curious what you do in your free time <laughs> <laughs> okay, no, so I, I'm pretty sure it's in my LinkedIn. My LinkedIn is mostly just disseminating scientific, mm. you know, uh, research, um, sharing most recent advancements. I don't typically do any of the content creation that is mm. for, I would say, I, I don't want to say, con- say consumer friendly. My LinkedIn is not very consumer friendly. It still requires someone to have a bit of knowledge on what I'm talking about to actually understand you know, okay, uh, GHG emissions coming from food. Someone who doesn't know about that will not really understand that. So yeah. for me, it's more of like, I would say scientific communication on my own. Um, but when it comes to like my job and my work, it's more about policies and regulations, scoping what is happening uh, globally and in US, in Europe, seeing how that would translate, how, what are the essential implications on our region? right because we are it's like a i would say like a not a cycle but it's like a it follows you know it follows yeah. whatever's happening in us and europe kind of gonna it will have its implications on the region and then you see how if you want to mitigate that or actually join that be a part of that but for content creation i'm not really yeah that deep into content creation yet i do i do enjoy content creation sometimes i go on canva try to create something it is enjoyable to me it's just it takes a lot of time content creation takes a lot of time mm-hmm. and i currently don't have that but who knows maybe at some point i will start producing yeah. content for consumers 
Yeah, I think uh, technically this interview counts. So like you're, you're you know, you're, you're, you got some yeah. of that going right now. Um, I yeah. think in the, for the U.S., I know how this affects the U.S. I'm curious how it affects the, the Middle East. Um, so like the, what's going on in Ukraine with Belarus and Russia, it's about like 20 to 30% of like phosphorus and potassium exports. And then you have all like the grain and stuff that's going down. Um, and that, that's like to the U.S., like how it's going to affect, like we're having like 20% less phosphorus and, and potassium, which then affects like food, which means like how much we can export. How is, how do you see that? What, what are the, uh, the UAE uh, needs and are, are they being affected? I mean, since they're a net importer, I imagine they're going to be affected a little bit more than the U.S., which is a net expo- exporter of food. Um, uh, all right. I would say, honestly, the UAE is really upping up its game in terms of local production. I mean, mm-hmm. even when it comes to fresh produce, it has been doing amazing. There are so many um, companies, local companies here that that are producing fresh produce like in non-arable land. And it's amazing. It's amazing to see in a, in a five in a five years span, it just shot up. And so I would say, yes, imports are being um, affected, but there is infrastructure. There is a lot of development happening that is kind of counterbalancing that. Not, I don't, I don't want to say counterbalancing that. I feel like that's a bit strong. There, there's still some effect. There is effects on importing, but we are still able to have fresh produce. We're still able to have food uh, in the groceries uh, all the time, whenever we need it. Whatever product that you want, you're always going to be able to find it. And even when you go back to COVID, I mean, so many countries countries during COVID where the food system was, their inputs were, were hit badly during COVID. But for us, we were still able to find everything in our grocery stores. So when it comes to UAE, I feel like they have a very strong... Um, Again, infrastructure, logistics, they have strong, I would say, developments that are pushing it on on top of that food security agenda, on top mm-hmm. of the food security index even. It's been ranked one, one of the top in the Middle East. So mm-hmm. for us, there are implications of, for the crisis, but it's the, the most way that I would see, say that it is affecting consumers is by prices. Prices yeah. are going to increase, but everything is still available. But again, the most way that we're being affected is through pricing. Mm-hmm. Um, is there, uh, are there, are there foods that you're looking to see introduced to the region that you're really excited about? So like kebab is probably one that, you know, you want to see built up as like a food source that people can enjoy. Are there other key areas that are either in development or are, are like through the policies and stuff that you're advocating for, you, you see going to be coming up pretty soon? Um, so I don't even feel like plant-based is going to come mm. up. Um, there, there are recent ventures into plant-based, but from that side of food production, when it comes to plant-based or novel foods, we lack, there is a lack of research. There is a lack of development. And recently there has been an increased um, awareness and in- increased action to kind of speed up the pace at which uh, we can introduce plant-based at a, at a much bigger scale, not just one, two, three, four companies. No, mm. to 
introduce it to have consumers demand it. Um, but again, it's going to take time, uh, but it will happen. This is one thing that I feel like is going to be very, that will be introduced. And I, I would, I mean, it's already there, but I would say that the local local companies here are will look further into putting plant-based on in their portfolio, because currently yeah. not all local companies have that, right? But apart from that, I would say um, other foods uh, they're pretty much available here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think it's just uh, but, uh, 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 go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Um, it's okay. You can go ahead. <laughs> oh, I was just gonna say like the uh. I, one trend that I've been seeing, and it's just specifically isolating down on like the you know where you get your food, whether it's plant based meat, etc., is that the stuff that's going on in Ukraine seems to be really be pushing people to be more mindful of like where their where their meals come from, and so uh, it seems like a real opportunity to have plant based. I I have heard like cell ag is like a little bit too like it like not advanced, but like just like it's not like been proven out, so it's not like a like a method that is going to be like copy and pasted to some extent and then like tweaked to mm-hmm. like fit the culture of the region. It seems like they're going to go for more of a plant-based, maybe like vertical farming to like have the ability to um, uh, uh, be less of a net importer for lack of a better word. Um, so it seems like there's a real opportunity that people are realizing like, Hey, if we can like, you know, and it has like such massive implications for climate change and, and like climate as well. Cause if you don't have to have like 12 different, you know, tankers of, materials brought from all around the world to one spot and you can bring it like build it in your backyard that in and of itself is going to drastically uh improve emissions because i think um like transport like freight uh not freight uh the this thing's on the water the boats like they, they're huge mm-hmm. in terms of emissions they are yeah yeah but still production emits more than transportation hmm. when you look at the this the research what research says Production does emit more than transportation. Nonetheless, if we can stop the transportation, if each country can be secure, food secure on, on its own, then that will reduce emissions by a great amount. But nonetheless, will every single country be food secure on its own? I mean, is that really possible? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah I think, I don't know if you could. I think you could. Like with the right investments, but then it's like, what else are you investing? If then, like, there's finite resources. So if you're investing in, in complete food security, then you're not investing in other things. Um, but that's the, I guess, the nice thing about the the Middle East is that there's like all that oil money that people, from the outside perspective, it looks like there's a different, like they're trying to like diversify uh, the the opportunity, which is good, which means more innovation, more things that are going to be yep. going that way. Yep. Yeah. Definitely more innovation. Innovation is gonna is skyrocketing. I mean, we already vertical farming here it's it's taking over it's taking over vertical farming here it's taking over and it's just a matter of time for other innovations to kick in mm. but again i feel uh, with everything you need the whole ecosystem of stakeholders for it to really skyrocket for for even consumers to start hearing about it you know just hearing about it seeing it you need the whole ecosystem to be on board is there an element of what you're working on? It doesn't have to be related to making that element happen, but is there something you got going on right now that you're really excited about in particular that you're working on? Uh, well, right now, um, I would say it would be more of like increasing consumer awareness mm. on 
a healthy diet from sustainable food systems. So this is something that is essential. It's, it's supposed to be the foundation for every consumer. And then you build upon that. You build on healthy diet from sustainable food systems. And then you introduce plant-based and you introduce all of those other innovations for consumers to accept that. Because consumers right now, they're starting to look at ingredients. They're starting to look at everything, the nutrition fats, whatever is in the product. And sometimes they're scared to uh, enjoy, like to consume something if it's highly processed because they directly link, oh, this is processed, it's from the lab. Ultra pro is so bad for me. I'm not going to have that. But then that's why it's so essential to raise awareness. So this is something I'm very excited about. But again, it has to be the whole ecosystem of stakeholders on board to really have that strong influence. You cannot just raise awareness for, I don't know, X, Y, Z, couple of months, and then just call it a day. No, it has to be something that's ongoing until you can actually factually see, for example, what's happening in the supermarket. Are consumers buying more? And once you see that translates into higher purchase, higher demand, then you know, yes, my awareness strategy is actually working. Mm. The, so this um, is something that... I, oh, go ahead. I think we had a delay. Yeah. <laughs> so this is something that um, I'm very excited about. I mean, I cannot, I don't want to believe I can share too much about it, but it is something that is something that is, I personally love um, community nutrition community interventions and activations and just bringing everyone on board being on the ground just being active with the community to to make them understand to make them resonate make it resonate with them make them actually believe in this plant-based product or in this it why should why you should eat this and not that and once you actually get that get to that point it's just pure bliss <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah the uh, one thing i'd like to do is uh i like to i don't know what the education system for kids in your in the middle east is called but in the u.s it's called like k through 12 i think in uh the the london uh the uk for instance i think it's like primary or something primary secondary uh there's so many different words for these things but basically like from like the ages of like i don't know five to 18 like the education system i like to look at like what they feed the kids and like what their meals are for the day the u.s is like the most disgusting stuff in the world i feel so bad Oh, it's horrible. Uh, but anyways, um, is is there a push to uh, impact that level of it? Because if you get people early enough, like seeing the difference of like um, like plant based items in or just healthy based items there as well. Like I think that the, the the best meal plan that I've seen for kids, like as they're developing, is gotta be Italy's. So they have like fresh uh, grapes that are grown locally in Italy. They, it's mm -hmm. like just, it looks like something I would pay money for. It's like so good. Um, yeah. So how, how is how is that being impacted? Um, so there's definitely been a lot of improvement in the school diet. Let me tell you, I was born and raised here. Back when I was in school, I used to have a hot dog, some French fries, you know, some uh, basically junk food. And then with yeah. time, I started to see those get removed from the school cafeteria. I stopped seeing fries. I stopped seeing uh, hot dogs. But there's definitely, from that time until now, I see there's so much more being implemented uh, for kids to 
to nourish kids and but to also to educate the parents because you cannot just show you cannot just have a healthy i would say school environment and then a somewhat unhealthy uh, food environment at home yeah you know it has to be on both ends because parents play a huge role in the healthy lifestyle and when a kid sees their parents having a healthy lifestyle eating healthy food they're more likely to continue on that route as opposed to just being at the school right so definitely um there are programs there are campaigns there's even retailers joining with um uh, we're collaborating with schools from like farm to fork um where they get chefs and and they just teach uh, kids about you know healthy eating healthy food what consists of healthy diet what what consists uh, a healthy diet and there's different like modules but of course it's not something that is in every single school mm-hmm. so it has to be mandated i feel it has to be mandated so that every single school private and public has it um but so far it's not mandated but i can tell you that yes there are programs there are even modules for kids to learn about healthy diets and there's even recent uh, recently there has been launched a podcast for parents to educate parents about healthy healthy food environments at home and how to actually take like how to actually influence their child into eating more healthily through them so definitely um there has been uh, improvements i mean it needs to happen the rate of obesity childhood obesity is high like in this region mm-hmm. the rate of childhood overweightness and obesity it is high so there this has to happen it really has to happen and i'm glad that it's starting to i'd say drastically improve there's always room for improvement there's always room to do more but i'm happy for what is happening now and i hope that it gets mandated for across all schools does the uh, um when we're, when we're speaking, should I just focus down on Dubai or should UAE that we I should be focusing on in terms of like the questions I ask? Like, is it the, are you like a part of the, like the UAE and Dubai or I don't know, are those synonymous terms? You can just <laughs> use the UAE. I mean, there okay. are different programs in uh, hmm. UAE. There are different programs in every Emirates, I would say, but nonetheless, the nutrition strategy, the national nutrition strategy, the food security strategy, it applies to all Emirates. Well, okay sweet that country. makes it easier then right yeah what um so in the u the u.s we have i think it's like one in four kids suffer from malnour- malnourishment of some kind and malnourishment for kids like affects like i think up to 20 points of their iq just for their uh that does not come back um is, what are the so the obesity is a problem in the ue uh what are, what are the like uh malnourishment malnourishment how big of a deal is that over there well i guess where where you're at that is actually a good question and i don't have the factual numbers <laughs> so i need to give no it to you <laughs> um but there's definitely i can tell you there's definitely malnourishment look our current food system the current the food industry they built the food system to favor calories over nutrients mm. right so you have kids having snacks that are high in calories low in good nutrients 
So what they're going to get is they're going to have, they're going to, with time, if they continue eating this way, gonna be, they're going to be overweight and then they're going to be malnourished at the same time. Um, so definitely when I tell you that the rate of obesity and overweightness when it comes to ch- children is high, then definitely there is malnourishment there. Because the food system, again, the food system right now, it prefers its calories over nutrients and micronutrients. Hmm. But the actual number, like one in four, one in three, that I, I right now, honestly, I don't have that. <laughs> no worries. I, I appreciate the honesty. You know, it's, it's better to better to be, just say like, hey, I don't know this. And maybe someone can like, you know, someone in the comments, like, you know, yeah. give that details. That's, that's yeah, great. Definitely. Um, what is what is an average household? Uh, what is an average household? Just if you can typify it to some extent, what are they eating now? If we can assume like, let's say they're in a healthy, unhealthy state in terms of what they're eating. And then we can have like a conversation about like what they should, you know, what are some things that they should be thinking about changing to? What is an average household in the UAE eat that is not necessarily unhealthy, but just like, like, give us like a sense of like, what, what are they actually on the plate at home? All right. Um, uh, dietary guidelines, you know, how you should have three to four, four to five to six servings, fruit and vegetables. We're supposed to have 30% of your calories coming from fat, 40, minimum 45% coming from carbs. The typical dietary guidelines, the daily uh, dietary like allowance for for us what we should have it's not being met so mm. fruits and vegetable intake is less than what it should be you have uh, meat consumption is higher than it should be chicken consumption is higher than it should be um uh, when you look at junk food it's more of like i would say at least twice a week uh, so families have junk food at twice to three times a week. Again, it's different. Some of this data is back from like 2015, 2000. So we need to look at data right now, but that is not available as we speak. But definitely um, we're not, households here are not reaching the optimum dietary intake per day when it comes to, again, fruits, vegetables, carbs, fats. It's more of like, it's more of junk food and then a little to a little of fruits and vegetables and high meat consumption, hmm. which then translates into different diet related, um, I would say complications, not complications, but with time, it will translate into diet related diseases. Yeah, I was but wondering. I don't want to scare anyone. I don't want to scare <laughs> anyone. I'm just <laughs> speaking the facts right now. It's, it's, Based on what I know, this is what I know, is that it's not mm. being met. And there's an urgent need to actually do something to mm. meet those needs, to meet those additional needs. Yeah, what, um, what are the effects of that diet over, over a person's lifetime if they just keep doing junk food? Also, like, what is the definition of junk food uh, in, in your mind? First, because like, like, even like the terms of like, what does happiness mean? Like changes based on like who you ask. So I'm curious, like, what is junk food? Yeah. And then at the same time, um, what are some of the effects? And it doesn't have to be like a scary thing, but like, I think it helps people know like, oh, those are some bad things. And we can talk about like, what happens when we go to the good stuff. So um, what is junk food? And then what type of health effects would people see? I, I imagine like just low energy, like you wouldn't be as productive just on, it doesn't sound like you'd be as productive, but that, that's my guess. Definitely, you're going to be less productive. But what I mean by junk food is hamburgers, pre-fried uh, food products, 
by the way, not necessarily, I wouldn't even necessarily say, oh, you're going to eat at this fast food chain or that fast food chain, even though this is what's happening. But also you have those pre-fried products that are sold in the supermarket, right? And they're so easily accessible and they, they have a, a great promotional deal. There's that and I went to the grocery store. Great promotional deals, deals on those pre-fried food products from fries to nuggets to mozzarella sticks to you name it, you'll find it. Chicken popcorn. So imagine you're eating at a fast food chain every maybe two to three times a week, but you're also having, for example, those pre-fried products. With time, you're getting more calories, so higher energy, higher fat and saturated fat intake. Um, I would say less protein, of course. Um, and even those sauces, the sauces are what add those calories and extra fat. So with time, if you're having that two, three times per week, you're going to exceed your caloric intake and you're going to start gaining i would say you're going to start gaining fat with time and it also depends on someone's genetic predisposition it depends on on yeah. someone's yeah. family like their history their medical history but it translates into high, we can say hypertension or um cholesterol with time or heart problems you know sometimes liver problems when you um when you when you gain weight through a stage of obesity that is just it's going to be a, a, a life life or death literally mm -hmm. that's why uh maintaining nutrition is so so important and so with time you're eating all of those fats and saturated fats and and we are right now living in a time where everything is easy for you to get just from sitting at your home so yeah. you're so sedentary you're not really active you're eating in excess Fat buildup, again, heart problems, hypertension, cholesterol, low, high blood pressure, low blood pressure. It's just it's an amalgamation of all of those different diet-related diseases. So you will get they are you do know that non-communicable diseases when it comes to like obesity and all of those diet-related diseases, they are responsible for a lot of death. Mm -hmm. One of the key they're one of the key pillars for death. Yeah. nutrition related diseases they are one of the key pillars for that and so it's just something that really bothers me is that not many people talk about it and then even if you want to talk about it even if you want to raise that to a company to whatever there's still going to be that business aspect of it I don't want to do that if it's going to affect my business negatively but it's affecting the whole population negatively. And it's, I don't, I don't even know how to come about that. This is something yeah. that I still circle back to every single day. There has to be business benefits, but there has to be community level benefits. How do you do that? Hmm. Yeah, it's a hard problem. The, Cause if you don't set the right disincentives and incentives, the people who just don't give a crap and are just gonna, you know, put like sawdust burgers out there for people to eat, you're going to make the money because, um, mm -hmm. I mean, it's cost effective. There has to be like a marketing there has to be some like, um, cost benefit, you know, breakdown to like make people not want to do it. Um, that, yeah, I see like the regulation really has to be the thing that comes in because if it's just like, you know, do whatever you want, um, 
I mean, it's, it's hard to do the best when your name, you know, your neighbor's gonna, you know, maybe not be doing the best thing and it caught in it. And, um, how you sell it, it's going to be cheaper. Cause like, you're not doing the same regulations and stuff on it. Um, are there, are, what are some, are, uh, this is like kind of one of my temple questions I wanted to ask. Um, but I think it like segues ne- nicely into what we're talking about, just like in terms of what, what's not there. Um, what are some of the nutritional gaps that you've identified? I mean, we're talking about them so far. And uh, just as a quick aside, like this is a bit of a jarble, but not only do you get death from what you just were talking about, but um, dementia, your rate, like 25% of people who get dementia and uh, uh, neurodegenerative diseases, it's a it's a health, it's a lifestyle factor. So it's, I mean, it's just, like everywhere you look at it, like this type of stuff, uh, it really will change your quality of life. So what are some of the nutritional gaps? We've already talked about some of them, but what are the ones that you're working on? And um what, what are the ones that you think people should 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 move to and like I'm, I'm definitely one of those people that I'm, I'm pretty dumb in terms of what I eat so you know anything you, you recommend I'm gonna be like oh I'm gonna look research that some more and then you know maybe get some of that on my mm-hmm. plate so what what, what, are, what are your nutritional gaps that you've seen in the UE uh, nutritional gaps apart from what we were talking about yeah so let's say when you come down to the micronutrients I would say vitamin D vitamin A mm. vitamin um, I'll say vitamin C iron calcium um magnesium mm. um but yeah those are like a top of my mind right now wow. i mean these are those like are when you go to micronutrient deficiencies yeah and overall it's not nutrition secure you know yeah. the food is not nutrition secure because not every single person is gonna sit and think of what does this give me is what I'm eating giving me all my micronutrients, all my calories, all my proteins, fats, healthy fats? No one, not that many people are conscious of every single thing they eat. And no one should be that, mm-hmm. I would say, I don't want to say insane. <laughs> I just want to say that um, picky to the point where they calculate everything. That's not good. No. But you should be more conscious of what you eat. And because not everyone's conscious, uh, another nutrition gap, again, is basically, I would say that education is also can be counted as a nutrition gap, nutrition education. Because hmm. then you can have a, a more conscious community of what they're eating and a more, uh, more healthy community because they're more conscious, right? The in ancient times and in like Rome, for instance, they used to have like a grain dole where like everyone could would just get like, hey, if you want like, you know, I don't know what the actual ratio was. I think maybe like a, a loaf of bread. And um, I wonder, like, to, what do you think about the idea of like everyone getting like a standard meal? I don't, I don't know if that'd work in the UAE or not because I don't know how many people are there, but um, they had like a standard healthy option that was just, like delivered to everybody, <laughs> like kind of like universal basic income, but universal basic uh, nutrition. <laughs> Oh, that can't happen. Everyone has a different mm. food. Everyone has different food tastes, food preferences, food behaviors. Um, but like a typical healthy meal is just going to follow my plate. Mm. That's the typical healthy meal. You have your dairy, you have your vegetables, your fruit, your protein, your carbs, your water. That's it. That's, and your fruit. This is the typical healthy meal. Literally what my plate has. It's not going to be something outside of this box where I'm going to tell you some, no, like a one universal meal, my place. But everyone has preferences. 
You can't mm. give someone, can't give the whole universe a one universal meal or like the whole country a universal meal. Not many people will even like that. Yeah. Well, I think you can customize it. Like, you know, uh, maybe you see a doctor and they say, here are your nutritional requirements. Then you can like pick from a meal, mm. kind of like uh, how you do on yeah. an airline. Um, cause the, I was watching, I was watching an airline that makes like 50,000 meals a day in uh Southeast Asia. It's yeah. like, wow, that's crazy. Yeah. It's intense. Yeah. But yeah. It's bigger when you're talking about like, I don't know, a couple million people in the UAE. It's yeah, like it is. It is. But you know, um, the food subscription services, meal plans, yeah. it's, uh, it really works here. There are so mm. many meal subscription forms. There's also a subscription plan. Um, you get the ingredients that ingredients how they are and then like a recipe and you cook yeah. it at home and basically you can have the portion however you want it if there's still left you can like store it i love that you know it's calculated based on this person's needs and you can cook it yourself or you can get a meal plan just the way that it is but it's something that really really has worked here meal plan subscription services are taking it by storm and mm-hmm. a lot of people because Everyone is like working. They don't have time to cook food. They go for that. Yeah. So, I mean, that's kind of something you can say of like this universal meal. <laughs> something similar. It's just that it's tailored for you. Hmm. It makes sense. The, um, and, what are, and you get it. Yeah. What are, uh, what are some of the hurdles or challenges that you've been facing so far as you're trying to uh, advocate, get people educated? And uh, with the policy and uh, ad, uh, aspects as well, what are some of the things that the Roblox even seeing? When it comes to plant based, yeah. or just or in just general? Uh, uh, plant based, uh, healthy diet. Yeah, those two. Okay, so when it comes to uh, no, so when it comes to healthy diets, a lot of consumers are on board. A lot of them post okay. COVID, post COVID era, a lot of people have been like more health conscious and wellness conscious becoming more active taking care of their, themselves um so when it comes to healthy diets there is a lot of acceptance to healthy diets shifting their food behavior but again you know consumers say they're gonna shift and then they do something completely different but one of like i would say the roadblocks is you can't just have the consumer shift on their own. You need to shift the entire environment around the consumer, right? So when you say healthy diet, it's not just uh, a consumer. It's basically, imagine you're walking on the road, you're driving down the road, and there is a huge marketing sign. What is it for? A, a nice, yummy burger. I mean, that, you want to shift to healthy diet, remove that and put something that is super healthy on that on that big, huge board. And do that on every single board. Because mm-hmm. um, awareness is not just on someone's reading, no. Because sometimes you see things, you don't notice that you see them, but with, throughout time, they do influence your food choice. And then also you have like the restaurants, you have, again, schools, you have um, corporate, what are they giving out in their cafeteria? Is it healthy, is it not healthy? So I would say like the roadblock is to get all of those different aspects on board to a healthy diet. And this is the major roadblock basically, is to get, mm. to make a healthy menu, to make employees healthier, 
I mean, I'm pretty sure not every single company will have a super healthy cafeteria, right? So imagine shifting all of that, shifting all schools, mandating all of that to shift to healthy diets. And the roadblock is not um, us or someone else. It's also, it's not just the receiving side, it's the side that's also giving out those meals. Sometimes they refuse to shift because maybe it's going to negatively impact the organization, negatively impact their relationship with other organizations. You never know, you know? So these are the roadblocks when it comes to healthy diet. <laughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> when it comes to plant-based, plant-based, there's a long, long way to go. Mm. But whenever it gets that backing, that very strong backing that's pushing it up on the agenda, plant-based in the region is going to skyrocket. But definitely the, road, the biggest roadblock here is that consumers are not that aware of plant-based and they're not that aware of how food negatively impacts our climate and our environment and how basically food has a huge role in climate change. Um, for consumers, it's more of like, how is this going to benefit my health? To sell them a plant-based, you have to talk to them about health and health benefits. But imagine going up to a consumer who is not that aware about climate change and telling them the meat that you're eating is giving out X GHG emissions and you need to... They're going to go like, what? What are you talking about? I don't care about that. I'm going I'm to eat my meat. What is my reason? Why should I change for you? You know? Mm -hmm. So that's one of the biggest... It is the biggest roadblock because once... Imagine a whole country demands more plant-based by by default apply and all of those companies are gonna start venturing into plant-based making their plant-based putting it out in retailers so i think that is the biggest roadblock when it comes to plant-based definitely definitely awareness on consumers part awareness on key stakeholders part increasing the education because not everyone still not everyone knows about meat and chicken and animal agriculture, the effect of animal agriculture on uh, the environment. And so I feel like you need to educate consumers, they need to educate <clears throat> stakeholders and everyone so that we can really push it on the agenda. Mm -hmm. What, um, how big of an impact for people who aren't unaware? I'm, I'm aware of how, I'm very aware of like the U Europe and Southeast Asia, and America in terms of like how climate change is going to affect it. Uh, I think uh, it's kind of like a you know, confirmation statement. I think agriculture accounts for like 40% of stuff with, that's going on with climate change. Um, you know, it might be higher or lower, you know, please correct. But what, mm -hmm. will, um, what will climate change do to the Middle East? Like what will it look like over the next 100 years? If, let's say we don't do anything. We just let it, you know, uh, do the worst things. Oh, uh, my. The, 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 the temperature will rise by four degrees. I think I saw that like a couple of days ago. If we don't do something in the Middle East, the temperature will rise by four degrees. And it is in the GCC in August. You cannot breathe outside. It is mm. so hot. It progressively got hotter. Again, because I was born and raised here. I can remember back in the day, summer was not that hot. It was hot. We're in a desert, yes. Uh, but it was not to the point where I can't breathe. 
Now it's in August, in summer, it's to a point where I cannot breathe. I need to run from one place to another just so I can get into air conditioning to breathe. And again, when I look at winter, for example, winter was not that cold in GCC. Now it's, it's actually cold. Every single year it gets colder and the summer gets hotter. And again, there is no arable land. Hmm. Okay, so we're in a dry land. Imagine with four degrees hotter than what it actually is. How much drier can it be? How will you produce anything? What will the people even feel? Imagine this is just such a big change, four degrees. It will have negative implications on every aspect of life. I mean, even just, let me just tell you, this is something, I don't think it's really related, but in summer, from how hot it is in the region, the air conditioning sometimes stops working. It gets gets jammed Mm. because of how hot it is. So when you say how will climate change negatively impact, I mean, there are water, it will impact water, it will impact dryness, it will impact production, it will impact life in general, it will impact life in general. Are the um, so I know Israel, they had, a bu- they built a bunch of desalination plants. They went from having uh, water scarcity to like water surplus. Are is there mm-hmm. any plans for like building desalination plants in the UAE so they don't have that type of problem? So they can have like I guess more like water cooled, like, or just like having access to a potable water. I believe so. I mm. am not really covered on that side of it. Yeah, but I believe so. Yeah. I'm not really. A hundred percent sure. Again, yeah. I don't want to say something and it's not right, but <laughs> I no believe worries. that I've, I've seen it somewhere. Yeah, the uh, America's weird. California has all these uh, droughts, but then it's like you have this ocean. They, I think, at one point in time they tried building desalination plants, but then they stopped, and then we had a bigger drought. I would love to see just a, a series of desalination plants, um, maybe tied mm-hmm. up to some like renewable energy, and just like pipe that stuff. I wrote a thesis thing yeah. on it. My teacher made fun of me for building a uh, desalination pipeline for, to, 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 you know, she, he thought it was unfeasible. It's like, I don't know how it's feasible. Like every year we spend billions of dollars, like fixing the wildfires. Like, I don't know, spend like 10% of that on desalination plants. But yeah, that's American education system. They're mean. Um, but uh, a thesis for uh, your master's? Or uh, no, no, it's just year? for uh, bachelor's. Yeah, I didn't get my master's. Bachelor's. Okay. Wait, what did, yeah. uh, what, 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 uh, what did you study? Because you're saying desalination, that was your thesis. Oh, I, I studied uh, the brain, the neuroscience, but then you take other courses with it. So I was oh, like, in, uh, taking some geoscience courses and they were like, what would you do mm-hmm. about the California drought? And I, I like, I literally drew a map and I had like, it was like on a final, so you didn't have anything that you could bring with you. I drew a map and I had like five pages explaining like exactly what I would do and like how I'd find the topography oh, wow. and stuff. I'd also bring back beavers. Beavers are amazing animals, and they help everything, the watershed, all that <laughs> stuff. I don't think the Midwest, the Middle East has uh, beavers. You don't got, you guys don't really have rivers. It's more like desert and then the ocean, right? And then the Gulf of... Yeah, we uh, don't have... A, I mean, just to see, we don't have rivers. I don't believe we have rivers here. But in, like, the Levant, we do have rivers. Like in Lebanon, I would mm. think in Jordan. Yeah, we do have uh, rivers. I mean, I know from my country, I have seen rivers by my eyes definitely we have but jcc more of desert area not them no rivers no 
I would say like an island. You can have you have an island. Are those yeah. the artificial ones? The ones that uh, was that the Dubai that was making the artificial islands? It looks like a bunch oh, of like flowers palm, or trees. Oh, that's the palm. I don't know. Yeah, the palm. Yeah, it looks yeah, like palm trees. The palm. Yeah, yeah. No, there are some islands where it doesn't look like the palm. Is it? Is it not enough natural? I haven't looked into that, but definitely I know that some of the ponds, like they were, you know, placed in certain areas. Yeah. What um? So I'm not from, as I've said, you know, several times. So I'm not, I I don't know their area. What are some places you recommend people check out? Like, um, are there like beautiful areas either for food or like cool food areas to check out, and then um, just places that you would hang out and like recommend? Because I have to go to the list. Uh, I, I would give like the whole middle middle. I keep saying Middle East in my head, and then saying Midwest outside. <laughs> so like, I'm having a nice <laughs> mess up here. The, the, M, the ME, I'm gonna call it the ME, the Middle East, the whole region. Um, oh, Lebanon is amazing. I mean, mm. there's so much nature in Lebanon, and the food is very good there. I mean, the current situation is not the best, but you can still tour around, and it's just amazing. There is oceans, rivers. You can go hiking. You can. The food is just amazing there. Definitely, I would recommend going to Lebanon um, to represent my country. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think Dubai is amazing. I think everyone should come to Dubai. Dubai is so nice. I love mm-hmm. Dubai, and there are so many different activities that you can do. Um, again, it's not. It's not like you're gonna hike here in Dubai, but there are definitely in other Emirates you can go hiking. There is more nature. Um, Dubai is more of like I would say Dubai is like the New York of the Middle East so you can kind of get the gist of it but it's very nice it's something that's worth coming and touring you know seeing all of the different developments the technology the futuristic um, edge that Dubai has it's very very nice Uh, apart from that I think think Jordan Jordan is also very beautiful um, trying to think. I think these will be my top three yeah. recommendations. Uh, Morocco. Morocco is Morocco. also very nice. Yeah, Morocco is very nice. Go to Marrakesh. Um, this will be my my recommendations. Where do you recommend in the states? uh i like boston it's a very walkable city so if you're if you've ever been to europe uh it's very like you can walk from one end to the other which is kind of nice okay um i don't like chicago for reasons uh mainly like public <laughs> transport I, i'm a big fan of public transport and i don't think chicago has the best tra- public transport uh, boston has better tra- public transport but you know still not that great mm-hmm. um i like madison madison uh wisconsin's pretty cool there's a lot of really cool places like if you want to if you like new england if, if you go to like Michigan and Wisconsin is kind of like New England, but without all the people, it's just kind of cool. Um, Austin's all right. I think it's like a an okay place. It's a little hot, but I, I mean, I think I'm, I, I have no grounds to say that. So <laughs> can't breathe if it's outside, it's so hot. Uh, those are cool places. We also like America's is really good for their parks, like the, the nature of it. Um, there are so many parks that you can just get literally get lost into. There's a, there's a trail yeah. that starts basically in Florida and goes all the way up to New England. And it's called uh, the okay. Appalachian Trail. It takes like four months to hike. I know so many people want to do it. I actually want to do it one day. Yeah. So there's a lot of really cool trails, a lot of nature. Um, there's a the place in Illinois named Starved Rock, which is uh, has 
meaning behind his name. There, I would if you were coming to America outside of just like visiting cities and stuff. I, I would actually recommend like just going towards a park and then going to the the nearest local town and then going to the nearest pub and then asking what is their number one item that they sell and have it. It's it's and just sit there. <laughs> yeah, it's nice. Because, well, I've never actually been to the states. No. Uh, it's all right. Uh, I think what do do that? What does the outside world think of America? Like, are we like? Uh, how do you how do you view us? I mean, personally. So, yeah. my personal view, I just feel like every single type of innovation comes straight out of America, and I'm just yeah. like, wow. I'm always so impressed by the technology and the ideas. All of those innovative ideas, they come straight out of America. This is from my own perspective. And I really, I really get so, so impressed by that. Whenever I meet um, someone from America or someone who used to work in America, I can just feel how well-rounded this person is in their field. And it's just, it's really amazing to me. Um, apart from that, the country... I really don't, I feel like I don't have that many thoughts about it. I mean, it's just, I would love to go to some space uh, just to like tour around, see what life is like there. I'd yeah. like to have, for example, I think this is, it might be a bit um, typical, but I'd love to have the New York pizza, like the big, mm. huge, giant slice of pizza. Um, I'd like to go to, Boston is the summer I'd like to go to. Um. Yeah. Again, I don't have a certain kind of thought about it. I just feel like every single technology and innovation just comes out of there, and then the rest of the world just follows. Yeah. Um, <laughs> one thing that I think most people don't see is that like Americans are pretty friendly. Like in the Midwest, like people will say hi to you when really? you're walking around. I don't know if they do that in the Middle yeah. West, Middle East. Jesus. Um. Even in like Boston, people were telling me, "Oh, everyone in Boston's gonna be mean to you, lol." And it's like I I stepped off the train. And I was like, I don't know where I'm going. And I, and there, and I, so I asked a, a random guy, Hey, do you know where this place is? And he, and he was, he worked at the train station, but he just got off. He's like, yeah, okay, here you go. He literally left the train station to like, make sure I took the route, the, the correct route. And I was like, oh, thanks. And he was just like, yeah, you're just that, 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 that street right there. And then he went off in the, in, like the entire different direction. You know, it's like, I think there's really nice people all over, but at the same time, there's jerks everywhere that ruin things that have access to the internet. So <laughs> make things kind of sound sad. Um, yeah, I know. Uh, America's pretty cool. Like, they're we have our problems, but yeah, I guess we're good for innovation. That's that's kind of nice. Um, the middle, the Midwest. Mm -hmm. I mean, Middle East. I'm like, we're like so many different things. But, um, <laughs> it's so hard for me. I mean, we started with like me not being able to say your last name, so like my mouth doesn't work very well. <laughs> no, the, Midwest, uh, middle East. The, the Middle East. I think my 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 impression of it's like there's a desert there. World War One was not great for it, you know, in terms of like the dividing lines for things that the Britain. Great Britain and then like the Lawrence of Arabia guy did. Um, they like drew stuff on maps that had like no correlation, like cultural boundaries. Um, lots of like lots of innovation. I think Dubai is like Singapore in my mind in terms of like in a couple of generations, they went from, you know, not really that big to like really like cutting edge. And now they're really expanding into yeah. other industries, which I really like. Um, crazy. I, I'm like mildly concerned about like, so in America, like for the most part, you can like walk from point A to point B and you'll be fine. Uh, like you could, mm -hmm. you could probably like, you could literally you would literally probably like ride a bike from like California to New York and you'd probably be fine. Um, like there are crazy people out there, but they probably would just be like, what are you doing? Um, I don't know if I could do that. I hear like it, like, you know, there's like people in the Midwest, Middle East 
who you know like there's like stuff going on like maybe they wouldn't like an american i don't know i don't want to like go there and like get like beat up but i don't know like how safe it is no. you know what I mean? it's safe uh in the middle i mean in the dcc super safe super super mm. safe um in the further mina region i would not say it's so safe for you to take a bike from point a to the opposite side of the country point b no, no, no. but here you can do that easily you can just mm. walk around from point a to point b you don't even need to take a bicycle like you're safe mm. they're very welcoming um open arms it's great here great here. yeah what is a lebanesian is it lebanese did i say the name right lebanese dish they'd recommend you said food earlier i wrote down like i want to know something to eat oh <laughs> uh, lebanese dish so you should definitely have tabbouleh have you ever heard of that no i i don't even know if i spelt it right in my notes i mean <laughs> <what's blue? laughs> you should have uh manaish I don't know what that You're is like, either. Okay. <laughs> I'll eat it. If I'm in the Midwest, at Middle East, I will literally eat whatever you say. Like if I'm like coming out there, I will grab everyone else I know in the Middle East. And you know, you guys can just sleep, pick what I eat. I'm pretty open. I'll eat anything I'm like an omnivore. You should have manaish, tabbouleh, fatouche. Um, there is hummus, betanjan. All of those. So, so good. So good. I mean, I can tell you like more on if you want to have meat. Um, I eat anything. It's all good. As long as you yeah. like it. I'll check it out. Yeah, there is. Um, I mean, again, there's like kebab. Yeah. Kibbe, all of those. Yeah. But the the number one thing that if someone says Lebanon, you just like tabbouleh, fatouche. And he has manaish. And there's this dessert. Um, I'm not sure if it's purely Lebanese. I think it's just a mixture of the whole Middle East. They have it. Uh, it's called knafi. What is it? Knafi? What is it? Yeah, it's, it's a dessert. So um, it's like cheese. It's like a huge chunk of cheese. And then they mm. put some... I'm not sure if it's... It's, it's a type of like... I want to say carbohydrate. I'm not sure what it is on top of it. And then they, they drizzle it with like sugar syrup, but it just tastes so good. That dessert is, tastes so good. That dessert is a dessert you need to try. And, and also, no, I would, I would recommend that dessert. <laughs> yeah. Um, desserts in the Midwest. I mean, we're like the dairy and cheese capital of the world. So, um, if you like cheese, you'll be good here. There's like some of the oldest cheeseries out here. Um, dessert wise, we just have like ice cream. We're boring. That's probably mm-hmm. like, that and pecan pie. Pecan pie is pretty delicious out here. Like oh, Midwest yeah. is very big on, on like apple pie and pecan pie. Okay. It's oh yeah, American. we have a lot of like pancakes, pecan pie, mm-hmm. apple pie, cheesecake. So yeah, we have so many things available here. <laughs> My bad, sorry. You're all good. It barely comes through, and I just worry about your well-being. So as long as you're okay, the, um, what are what are some? Pardon? Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. No, it's fine, it's fine. 
what are some books you'd recommend people check out? It could be nonfiction, fiction. It doesn't have to be related to climate change or food, but it can be at the same time. Just things that you, you've read that you enjoy that you would, wouldn't mind other people checking out. Oh, okay. So most of the books I read are philosophical because sure. I love philosophy. So there's a book by uh, Jiju Krishnamurti. It's, uh, it's called Freedom from the Unknown. And he also has one called Freedom from the Known. He also has a book um, on love and loneliness. Uh, there's also, uh, I would say, um, Jordan B. Peterson, his books, um, let me remember the name. It's like 12 uh, rules, right? 12, 12 rules. rules for life and then 12 other rules for life. Um, and then there is a book called Nausea by Jean-Paul Sartre. So we'll have to check those out. Uh, I only know Peterson, so I now have two new authors to, to read. Um, after this week, there's literally going to be a bookshelf behind me because I was like, you know, I talk about books so much, and I literally have like three bookshelves over there. So I'm going to move them over here so people can like be like, there's a book you can recommend. Um, yeah. What are you What are you currently working to learn? Like it doesn't it doesn't have to be work related, but just like you know, it's a the title of the show is Learn with Lowell, so I, I'm always curious like what are people actively trying to learn more about. Something. Um, oh, I would say I'm trying to learn more about different skills needed in sustainability in a sustainability profession. You know, mm. not just one aspect of sustainability that is, I don't know, uh, agriculture or something. I want to learn like different skills needed to excel in that. Um, apart from that, I would say um, how to position oneself, how to become and position yourself as a thought leader, how to lead, how to lead a team, how to lead, again, just doing all those small, um, again, baby steps until you reach that big goal of yours. So something I'm trying to learn. Uh, apart from that, I think this is really like what comes to my mind right now and what I'm trying to learn. Um, what about you? I'm teaching myself machine learning. That's pretty fun. That's about it. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. That's very it's not, nice. Uh, it's just, it's, it's really, it's like simple, but complicated and it's fun. I don't have any, um, <clears throat> it's like a plate. There's a, it's like a completely new field in terms of learning. So when I go into it, like, it's like wow there's so many things i'm ignorant of it's kind of exciting because mm -hmm. sometimes when mm -hmm. you when you're looking at something that's similar to something you've done you have like some type of simile to it which makes it easier but then at the same time if it's like a full new field i think it's very exciting to like learn everything about it yeah machine learning is my thing uh i have some ideas for where i can uh, apply and stuff like that but that's where i'm having my fun what are um some of the specific skills and sustainability that you're trying to learn like are there specific maybe someone listening or i could give maybe some suggestions i don't know um, you can give me some suggestions. I mean, right now I'm just having, um, oh, you can give me suggestions. I don't have something that's set in stone. Oh, okay. I so it's not like the, like, it's not like, um, knowing how to make like the skill of knowing how to like negotiate a big contract or the skill of, uh, I mean, like making a plant burger. I don't know. 
No, there's definitely I would I would say on uh, negotiate climate negotiation skills mm. um, and reporting like I don't want to say ESG reporting I want to say more of like GRI reporting. Um, What's uh, GRI? Yeah, definitely like ESG. ESG versus GRI. What is that? ESG is environmental social governance, and it's basically the companies report ESG. So that it's typically used by investors to see where they should invest in which company. Mm. Um, GRI is the Global Reporting Initiative, and it's basically that one has a whole framework on standards on what each company should follow okay. it's standardized for the framework esg each company can choose the way they want to report mm. okay that makes sense so for me yeah so for me i would love to learn more about developing a sustainability reports for a company you know how do i report the company's performance and so on and so forth and also climate negotiations yeah 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 so it's like how do you listen to the team of a company to know what their needs are and then translate it into climate sustainability and then translate it back into a plan that they can use and then have weights and measures to know how they're performing and how they're like for their own benefit and for your benefit so you can help coach them Mm -hmm. further definitely yeah and it's also like reports like sustainability reports i think Every every multinational company does them now. It's like part of their strategy, I would say. Every company is having coming out with sustainability reports. Yeah, I'd call one of them up then. That'd be my suggestion. I'd call someone up at the, one of those companies and you know learn how they do them. Mm-hmm. That could be. That's yeah, actually a great idea. I don't know. Yeah. I just call them. I mean, yeah. especially if you're, you know, with your yeah. interest in your background, like, I think half the battle is like, uh, did you do your research? Like when, when you talk to someone, like to a great extent, you're just proving that you're not going to waste their time. And then the second half is you're, you're going to use their time valuably. Um, so, mm-hmm. I mean, there's multiple variables to it than, than that. But I think if, if you find one that you're really like, well, that's really cool. And maybe it's in the UA and you know, they have a mission that's really exciting. And there's one person who's really in it. I mean, sending them a message or something like that, like you'd be surprised people say yes. I mean, I have a podcast with like yeah. 200 plus people and um, I didn't know anyone at the beginning. I was just like an idiot in the Midwest. And now I'm like a, a slightly bigger idiot in the Midwest. <laughs> like, I think it's easy. <laughs> you know, it's just like, got to pick the person. I think you, you just do it. got to take that initial step of... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. And then um, what advice would you give uh, to someone who wants to get into what you're t- what you're doing? what advice I would give. I would give them stay on top of all the updates, know what's happening in the industry, try to understand consumers from your own uh, point of view, not typically market consumer market insights. I don't really trust all of those insights. Um, so yeah, the best the best advice is stay up to date on what is happening. Every day assign at least 30 minutes, check what is happening in the industry. Stay up to date on what's happening. That's like the most crucial thing I would say. And uh, always stay up to date to, uh, on research. 
research helps a lot. And also, I would say, um, you know, continuously educate yourself, take mini courses, try to increase your skill set, you know, uh, in, in whatever area you want. And let's say if it's sustainability, you know, get a certificate from this university or not necessarily at university, whatever you find that you think is good enough, go for it. Continuously yeah. educate yourself. Education doesn't stop. And there, the world is changing at a very fast pace. What you know today might not apply in like a week. Yeah. Where, um, where are some places that you recommend people follow along on to learn more? Like, where, where do you go to stay up to date, essentially, for those 30 minutes? Like, what does that look like? Uh, okay, so I love the Good Food Institute. Mm. Okay, that's more on precision fermentation, everything, policy, science, everything is on there. Uh, there's Green Queen Media. Absolutely love that. That website, everything they put on there is just great. They, they put for you all of what is happening every single day. Everything that's new is updated. Um, in terms of courses, I would say EIT Food is amazing for courses. Um, and then when it comes to certifications, it really depends on if someone wants to get it from a university. But I know that university, university of, um, completely forgot, complete, I think it's with MIT, they have a certification. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and there was another university, Harvard, Harvard, Harvard or Stanford, either one of those. They have sustainable system certification, and I think it's great. I Sweet. think those are great. Yeah, I'm going to check them out as well. I love to learn. Um, yeah. And then yeah. where can people go to stay up to date with you in, in your work? Are you like, do you have intentions for like a, a newsletter or like, are you on like Twitter and you kind of talk about your stuff? Because like, I'd follow I mean, along, I'd subscribe. Um, and that's actually not a bad idea. Um, for now, I'm just active on LinkedIn. This is where I post what is happening, you know, most recent developments, whether it's in the Middle East or if it's global. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. Maybe I can, I'll, I'll start a newsletter. Maybe I'll start a website. I still don't know. I don't have any concrete strategy, mm -hmm. but for now, LinkedIn. And then, Whenever that happens, I'll obviously post about it on my LinkedIn or link it to my LinkedIn. But for now, it's just that, my, my profile. Sweet. I'll, I'll make sure it's in the show notes so people can check it out. And then uh, a fun question. What does uh, the necklace say? The gold? Is it Sarah in Sanskrit or something? It's Sarah in Arabic. Oh, that's cool. That's really beautiful, yeah. like the writing of the language. English is kind of, I don't know, I've looked at it a lot, so it's kind of boring to me. Sanskrit? Uh, Arabic looks really cool when you look at it, like when it's yeah, written. Yeah, there are different, there are different fonts. Not, I don't want oh, to okay. say fonts, but there are different styles of writing. I chose mm -hmm. a specific one. Yeah. Does the style have meaning or is it just like you liked it, the aesthetics? I just like the style. I just like how okay. it looks. I just feel like this is one of the most uh, used even it's one of the most it's like I'm setting set, it's like I'm typing in Times New Roman on like my okay. Microsoft <laughs> but in Arabic this is uh 
it was mostly like I would say in poetry and yeah. uh, all of those cultural kind of traditional ways of writing. Yeah. Sweet. All right. Well then, um, normally I just, you know, end the call, but, uh, uh since I'm trying something new today, uh, I just want to thank everyone for coming out today and checking out Sarah, Mar- Mary, Mary. It's so bad. Mar- Mar- Mary, Mary, see, that's how bad it is. Like, this has been terrible. I have, uh, I am so bad at names. Um, so, uh, thanks for, thanks for coming out. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks for sharing your passion for these, these topics. I hope everyone, um, if, if you, if you had a thought on what was talked about today, leave it in a comment me- messenger on LinkedIn and, uh, really just like go out there and learn something new. I hope you learned something new today. Please do message me if you ever have any questions. And thank you so much for having me on your podcast. It was amazing. I loved it. I enjoyed it. And I hope uh, other people enjoy it as well, listening to this podcast. I hope they learn something new about uh, the GCC and Middle East region.